This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you an influencer? Do you have the ability to influence the lives of others for good or for bad? That is the question for today. As we continue our sermon series entitled, I'm In, we acknowledge that God has called us to be influential. Now, I would dare say that most of us do not consider ourselves to be very influential. We often associate influence with having a social platform or being in the spotlight or being considered popular or maybe well-known. In fact, we often associate influence with celebrities, maybe professional athletes or actors or actresses, politicians, musicians, and the like. Many large businesses intentionally pay these types of people to be the spokesperson or the face of their brand or to market their product. They know that people who follow them and support these celebrities are more likely to purchase a product that they endorse. For instance, what made Nike so successful? Well, they were able to get Michael Air Jordan to be the face of their brand. Now, the irony in this is that in the mid-1980s, Converse was the highest-selling basketball shoe at that time. And they were able to get celebrities such as Magic Irvin Johnson to endorse them, as well as Larry Bird to endorse their product. But Nike went another route, and they went with Michael Jordan because they knew that he was likable and he was beginning to have a lot of success around the league. Michael Jordan continues to be an influencer to this very day. But today we live in a different age, another age of influence that didn't exist back then. We live in the age of social media where anything can go viral in just a few hours. Truthfully, you don't have to be a celebrity to be an influencer anymore. You just have to have an Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or YouTube account or channel. In fact, there are tons of people like you and me who have become famous through social media who are now influencers to those who follow them. Now, my boys love to watch YouTube, and they love watching several different guys who like to play video games and stream them on their channels. Really, they could sit for hours and watch their, these YouTubers do their own video gaming rather than playing their own video games at home. And these YouTubers have influence over them because when they see them playing the new video game, they come to me and say, hey, Dad, can we buy this game or can we download it? We want to play this. You see, the power of influence is real. And it begins at a very young age and continues all the way up through adulthood. But you and I both know that the power of influence isn't just limited to consumerism. It also fuels the political sphere. Endorsements are key to any election cycle because if a candidate can win important endorsements from those who have great influence, it can help push them over the edge. And it can help them win. But it's not just in the political sphere, it's also in the religious sphere as well. If certain pastors or religious leaders in the public realm endorse a book or an organization or maybe a church or maybe even a political candidate— They have the power to influence those who trust their judgment to do what they want. The power of influence is real, 
But I have to tell you, it is not limited to just people of status and of power. This leads us to our story from John's Gospel today in which Jesus makes a pit stop in Samaria as he's making his way back to Galilee. Now, this is an abnormal situation because most Jews would do anything to avoid Samaria or even the Samaritans. Now, culturally, Jews and Samaritans didn't speak or interact with one another. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Assyrian. You see, Assyria had infiltrated northern Israel in 722 BCE, attacking and exiling them. But in doing so, they, they brought their cultic worship with them, and they began to intermarry those who lived in Samaria. The Assyrians even brought back one of Israel's priests and asked them to teach them the law of the Lord. And in doing so, they began to blend their worship together. The Samaritans became polytheists for a while, adopting the Pentateuch, but also neglecting the prophets. This angered the Jews who refused such practices So as you can imagine, Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan was far more radical than we give it credit for. A Samaritan would have never stopped to help a half-dead Jew on the side of the road, no more than a Jew would stop to help a Samaritan. Now Jesus could have gone around Samaria, but John tells us that he had to go there. This isn't because it was the only route. It's because Jesus knew that he needed to encounter someone at the well that day. So upon his arrival, he rested at Jacob's well where he was parched from his travels. It was noon, the heat of the day when no one would show up to draw water. Yet a Samaritan woman came at that specific time, expecting to find no one there, and was surprised to find Jesus. Once again, Jesus breaks the social norms and he speaks to her without her husband present. He asks her for a drink of water, which astounds her, and she deflects him by asking why he would ask such a thing. But Jesus then pushes her further, saying to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman is not quite sure what Jesus is talking about. He's requesting water from her, but now he's offering her living water. This prompts her to ask him if he's greater than their father Jacob, who had given him this well and who drank from it himself. And so Jesus responds to her saying, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the woman is very interested in getting this living water because she doesn't want to have to return back to this well, but she is missing exactly what Jesus is saying to her. So then Jesus just cuts to the chase and he says, why don't you just go get your husband and bring him back here and then we can talk. But then she says to Jesus, I don't have a husband. Now, this is a half-truth, and Jesus knows this, and so he tells her, well, I know that, that you've had five husbands, and the man that you now live with is actually not your husband at all. You see, the reason why she's drawing water from the well at noon in the heat of the day is to avoid the other people who would be coming earlier in the day or later in the day to draw water. This woman doesn't want to be gossiped about. She doesn't want to be shamed publicly in front of anyone because she knows that they know her lifestyle. 
And so Jesus shares his knowledge of her situation, not to condemn her, but to get her attention. And up until this point, she has missed the spiritual significance of his words, and now she realizes that he is a prophet. And so she engages him in a theological conversation about worship in order to change the subject. Jesus engages her and tells her that salvation alone comes from the Jews. And it's not so much about where one worships, whether it's in Jerusalem or on this mountain where they worship. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And in speaking to her, then she replies back to Jesus, we, when the Messiah comes to us, he will explain everything to us. But it's in this very moment where things get real. For the first time in John's gospel, Jesus reveals himself to her saying, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You see, Jesus is saying far more than it's me, I'm the Messiah. He has invoked the divine name of God, I am, given to Moses. And truth be told, Jesus hasn't explicitly revealed this to his own disciples who've been following him in his ministry, but he has chosen for some reason to share it with this sinful Samaritan woman. And in doing so, he now offers her living water, eternal life here and now, and to fill her with living water so that she can share this source of life with others. But the conversation is stifled by the return of the disciples who've been in town buying food and who are surprised to see that Jesus is talking to this woman. So John then tells us, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The woman's reaction to Jesus' revelation of himself causes her to do two things that she didn't anticipate. First, she leaves her water jar behind, which was the whole reason that she came to the well in the first place. And secondly, she went back into the town and she found the very people that she was trying to avoid and she urged them to come and see Jesus. She came to quench her thirst and she left with her soul full of living water. She came to avoid those who ridiculed her, and she left to find them so that they could meet the Messiah too. You see, it's really a story of great influence. Jesus has a profound impact on her, which leads her to influence others to find Jesus. Yet this woman had no special status or power to be an influencer in any way. She didn't have credibility to influence others, but the mere fact that she was open with the townspeople that Jesus had revealed her past and her present was enough for them to listen to her. They all knew that she was living in sin. And for her to openly admit it to them without hesitation was enough for them to listen to her testimony and to seek Jesus for themselves. And in doing so, many of them came to believe in him. And they came back and told her, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So if a sinful Samaritan woman has the ability to influence others to find Jesus, do we? Absolutely, 
we do. You see, so often we think that we have no influence on the lives of others, but that's not the truth. Think about it for just a moment. Who has had a huge influence on your life? I would dare say that it's not a celebrity. It's not a professional athlete or a politician, or an actor, or a musician. If I were a betting man, I'd put my money on it being someone that you've known personally for a long time. It could be a family member. It could be a friend or a teacher, maybe a colleague. It just might even be a church member. And why have they been influential in your life? Is it because they've showered you with gifts and won your affection? Or is it because they have modeled a life of love and of faithfulness, of friendship, or of care and concern for you? You see, this is what Jesus does for us. And he sought out this Samaritan woman because he cared about her. He wanted her to drink the living water and to share it with others. And this is exactly what Jesus wants for you and for me. You see, he tells us in his sermon on the mount, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He doesn't tell us that we ought to be salt and light. He tells us that we are salt and light. In other words, because of our connection with him, we are the salt that seasons and gives taste to the blandness of the world. And like salt, we prevent corruption, purifying the things in the world that have gone bad. Our connection with Jesus means that we are a light shining in the darkness, not seeking to draw attention to ourselves, but to lead people to God, the true source of light. In other words, we are called to be influencers for the kingdom of God. Jesus called the Jews to be the salt to one another. They are the salt of the earth or salt of the land. And the land belonged to the people of God, to God's people, the church. Jesus is speaking to the church. But then he takes it a step further and he says, you are the light of the world to shine their light beyond themselves, even to the Gentiles. In other words, they are called to be influencers both in the church and in the world. But Jesus knows the temptations not to live into their calling. And so he says to them, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And he also says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You see, his point is clear. Salt and light both have a purpose to impact and to influence. Therefore, complacency on our part is not acceptable, for he hasn't asked us to do something that we are incapable of doing, because as long as we are connected to Jesus, we will provide flavor and shine his light wherever he has called us. You see, the good news of the gospel is that our effectiveness to be salt and light is not entirely up to us. That's Christ's job. Our simple call is to accept our identity in Christ and to pray that God will allow us to be salt and light that he's created us to be. We have to be willing vessels who want to influence others to know Jesus for themselves. And like the Samaritan woman, we are called to share our testimonies, 
how Jesus has encountered us and how he has worked in our lives. And this is not something that we are to be ashamed of, but something to be shared, just like salt and light. You see, the truth is, is the majority of us have come to know Jesus because of someone else's influence to be salt and light to us. We don't come to know Jesus unless he reveals himself to us, but most often he does this through others who are being salt and light in and outside of the church. So I ask you today, who's been your greatest influencer of your faith? Who's been the salt of the earth and the light of the world to you? Who's influenced you to grow in your relationship with God and consistently shows the grace and mercy of God in your own life. Who, who is that for you? And I have a challenge. I want to encourage you to reach out to that individual or individuals. I want you to write them a note or send them an email or maybe a text or even pick up the phone and call them and let them know that God has used them in such a way to be a willing vessel to influence your faith to God's glory. But that's not all I want you to do. I also want to encourage you to pray that God would open your eyes to be influential in the lives of those he's placed in your life. That you too may be salt and light so that others may come to know Jesus more clearly through your life's witness. You see, I find that our lives are like a rock. A rock in a pond. If you've ever gone out to a pond and taken a rock and you throw it out into the center of the pond, it has an impact when it lands. And when it lands, it creates a ripple in the water. And that water begins to ripple from the center all the way out to the edges of the pond. Your life is like that rock in the pond. It's influential. You are salt and light beyond yourself, touching many who are around you, sometimes not even realizing it. But my prayer for you is that you would begin to recognize and understand that your sphere of influence is greater than you realize. For if a sinful Samaritan woman was able to lead a town to come and know Jesus simply by sharing her testimony, then anyone has the ability to influence others towards him too. Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't let your salt lose its saltiness and do not hide your light under a bowl. Friends, we must live into our calling to be influential. For Jesus promises us in John's gospel, in John 14, 12, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Did you hear that? We will do even greater things than Jesus. Not because we are great, but because God's Spirit resides in us, the power of Christ, and has given us the influence and the ability to influence the world to know and to believe His good news. So together, may we as God's church be the salt and light that he has called us to be so that others might see our good deeds and give praise to our Father in heaven. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.